Hey everybody, thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, including our first look at the Revel Rail 29 that we'll be talking about here momentarily, and a whole bunch more over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so my guest this week is Adam Miller, the founder of Rebel Bikes, and we decided it was a good idea to have him back on the show, both because they just launched the new Rail 29, which is a super exciting bike that's been several years in the development, and the whole story behind it is pretty cool. And then also, Adam's just a really smart guy who's got some really good stuff to say about what it's been like to run a relatively new bike company through the pandemic and all of the supply chain headaches that have resulted. And along the way, we also get into some stuff about the maturation of the bike industry in general and wheel sizes and mullets and a bunch more good stuff. But before we get into that, I also want to say that this episode is brought to you by our recommended bike shop in Bellingham, Washington, Fanatic, who conveniently enough happen to be a Revel dealer themselves. Now, Fanatic specializes in custom bikes and custom wheels, and so if you are interested in a custom-built bike from Revel or any one of the other great brands that they carry, head over to fanaticbike.com and check out the bike builder tool that they have on there because it's really sweet. You can choose all of the parts that you want and visualize them in real time as they're going together, and as part of that, you'll get a visualization of exactly what the bike's going to look like and the tool does a really good job of weeding out the parts that aren't compatible with what you've selected previously so all of the stuff about figuring out bottom bracket standards and all of that nonsense is handled for you it's very slick and if you're in the area in bellingham swing by the shop too chat with their super knowledgeable sales team or get work done in their full service shop whatever you need they've got you covered so with that, let's get right into my conversation with Adam. Well, Adam, thanks for coming back on Bikes and Big Ideas. How are you today and where are you today? Uh, it's great to be back. Thanks a lot, David. I am in Carbondale, Colorado, and I'm doing great. Awesome. Well, last time we had you on way back in episode 25, almost two years ago now, we kind of did a bit of a rundown of your history in the bike industry and a couple of the other companies that you've started previously and the backstory of Revel and a whole bunch more on that stuff. So for folks who kind of want that earlier part of the story, you should probably step back, check that one out first. This time we're going to kind of talk about what you've been up to since then and the launch of the new Rail 29 being a big part of that since that bike just dropped and looks pretty interesting. So I guess just to start off, I mean, one of the things that got you mentioned in the sort of press release for the Rail 29 is that you've been working on this bike since the company was founded, what, about three years ago when you officially launched. And so I guess it's been kind of a long road to getting this one out there. So why don't you start off by telling us just a little bit about what the bike is and kind of take us through some of that development story. Yeah, no, we've been working on it for, as when I look back on it, it feels like a very long time, um, but super excited to, you know, finally show it off to the world. Uh, so yeah, Rebel Bikes, just quick background. We, we, I started the brand in 2015 after starting and uh, selling a couple other bike companies and some other, other things. And Rebel was kind of, you know, everything I wanted in my business in terms of, I want to make the bikes that, that we want to ride and make high end carbon full suspension bikes. I also still own Y cycles. Um, it's all under the same umbrella here in Carbondale, which uh, makes high end titanium gravel bikes, adventure bikes, road bikes. So, uh, 
the main thing that we do, uh, you know, that we really talk about a lot that we do special is our suspension platform on the Rebel Carbon Bikes. We use uh, CBF, Canfield Balance Formula. We're the only brand using that suspension platform. And I can go down a rabbit hole, which we can save for later if, if needed. But we have a really cool suspension platform. We do some really high-end stuff with carbon. Um, I, I like to think we're really dialed on geometry and all the little details and features. And the Rail 2.9 is really, um, I'm really proud of, we took a long time to, to develop it and to release it uh, because I, we really got into all those little details. So uh, we did launch Rebel Bikes in 2019, March 2019. We just had our third birthday party recently. Uh, we had a cake and a live band in, in Sedona, the Sedona Bike Fest, and it's pretty pretty fun third birthday celebration. Um, so we we launched our brand at the Sedona Bike Fest March 1 of 2019 with two models, the Rail, which is a 275-165 millimeter bike, and the Rascal, a 29er-130 bike. And about six months before we even launched the brand, we started working on this Rail 29 bike. We kind of knew it was the one we wanted. I started the company back in 2015. We officially incorporated in 2016. And so it took about three to four years to develop and release the first two models. And towards the end of that, as we were getting ready to release the first rail and the rascal, we started working on this rail 2.9, a, a long travel 29er. That was kind of the bike we wanted since 2018. Uh, and it's kind of funny. I wish we had kept track of this, but we've had literally like thousands of people email us or call us or text us or DM us on Instagram asking when Rebel Bikes is going to make a long travel 29er. And for the last, you know, three years, we've had to say, oh, you know, maybe someday, maybe someday. And uh, sure enough, we were working on it the whole time. So we're super excited about it. To get a little more into it, then talk a little bit more about what you were targeting as sort of really the specific design goals of the bike and how it fits into the rest of the lineup and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. So with all of our bikes, we 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 kind of use the saying, we make the bikes we want to ride, which maybe sounds cliche, but it couldn't be more true. I mean, we're based out here in Carbondale. I started the business in Ogden, Utah. I was there for a couple of years, moved the business to Carbondale in 2017, purely because this little tiny town in the Colorado mountains is like an absolute Mecca for mountain biking. Like our number one goal is to ride bikes. And we do a lot of like river floating and fishing and skiing and all that fun stuff too. But I moved the business here to ride bikes. So it makes it really easy to legitimately design products that we, that we want for ourselves. That way we can, we can have a business. So the goal with all of our bikes is to, you know, not look at, comments on the internet and on pig bike and things like that about geometry and trends and all that and not just make a bike with a super slack head angle because some people might think that that's cool even if it's not too practical for most people so uh through all of our experience uh between the tie bikes the rebel carbon bikes and my previous companies i think this is like bike model number 15 or 16 and i like to think that experience has taught us a lot in terms of geometry uh and bike handling and 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 all those you know little minor details that kind of make a big difference in the overall feel of the bike so uh the rail 29 we wanted to be uh, a really fast aggressive bike for you know enduro racing or for going downhill but also a bike that you could use as kind of your all day you know high alpine epics take it to you know some ass or winter park you know bike park or up to whistler and, and the bike can absolutely um you know fit right in on those types of trails uh our rail 27.5 was received so well the cbf suspension platform made that you know it's 165 rear travel 170 front 27.5 wheels and that bike climbed better than a lot of modern cross-country bikes um it, it we've won multiple awards for 
you know, uh, from Pink Bike and Bike Mag and all sorts of cool publications for that for that Rail 275, uh, just in terms of, you know, it's a long travel bike, but wow, it can do so much more and it can hold its own uphill. And a lot of the riding we do around here, you know, you spend most of your time climbing up three or 4,000 feet and then <laughs> you ride downhill. So yeah, so we wanted a bike that would be, you know, fun to pedal uphill so you can really enjoy going downhill. And I, I think we we did that with the Rail 29 that, you know, the it's a combination of the suspension platform, but really the geometry as well. So uh, we like to say, you know, we have modern progressive geometry, but not too modern and not too progressive. Uh, I think some bikes have certainly pushed the limits of that, you know, super long, super slack, super short chain stays, which is really fun for certain types of riding. But what we found is that it's not ideal for necessarily what we want or for what a lot of people want. If we're only riding chairlifts at Whistler and only going downhill, sometimes that's awesome. Um, but for kind of an all around bike or for an enduro race bike where you're doing a lot of pedaling, uh, different types of terrain, uh, the geometry that we settle on for the rail 29, I think is really ideal. So it's a 65 degree head angle, 76 degree seat angle, uh, 475 reach on a large. Uh, so it's, it's on the long and slack side of things, uh, but not too much. So, and it was really cool. We launched the bike at the Sedona bike fest just a few weeks ago. And it's always fun to launch a bike and immediately have it available for demo. So we had, you know, hundreds of people that got to go ride those bikes, uh, that first morning, Friday at 9am. It's really cool at those events. Cause, uh, the doors open at 9am and people have been in line for two or three hours already. And as soon as the doors open, like everyone just runs to the to all the different booths to reserve the demo bike they want. It's like this big stampede of people to go ride bikes. And the first year we launched uh, Rebel, no one was there Friday, you know, by 10 o'clock, maybe people came into demo bikes. And on Saturday, you know, people, a few people ran to our booth. Sunday, a bunch more people ran to our booth. Well, now we're three years in and Friday morning, we launched the Rail T9s. People saw it, you know, on the internet that morning. And we had like 60 people online by 9.02 a.m. To, <laughs> to ride the bike. So that was pretty sweet. But it was really cool to hear, you know, hundreds of people come back after they ride that bike. Say, this is awesome. The geometry is great. You know, this is, this is what I want. A lot of other bikes have kind of gone too slack or too long. And this one just feels right. And it was nice to kind of hear that validation. Like we knew what we wanted, but it was good to hear that from tons and tons of, of people. So we're really happy with the geometry that, that we chose. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me and i think there's definitely some room for a bit of a spectrum to exist there in terms of you know there are some really out there long bikes and those do make sense in certain places and certain bits of terrain but yeah they're not necessarily for everybody in the bike i think the bike industry has done a pretty good job kind of more generally uh, overall of in the last handful of years if we kind of had this progression where people realized that going a bit longer and a bit slacker than where we had been you know five or ten years ago was generally a good thing but then we've kind of settled into there's a bit of a range in any given sort of category of bike now that you can kind of pick and choose where you want to land on that and yeah you're absolutely right that there's sort of not one ideal kind of way to go about it depending on what your preferences are and where you're riding and all the rest so totally it's some of the like most heated debates we have here in the office amongst our product development team like you know, sitting in the conference room, we, we have all sorts of meetings about all sorts of bikes and, you know, mostly business stuff and, you know, not so fun things. But when we talk about developing a new bike, that's when the real passion comes out. And, and there's all sorts of ideas and there's all sorts of ways to make a really good bike. Um, and I, I like to think that, you know, our product development team is, is really good. And then we take input from everybody in the company about what, what we all want to see. And I like to think because of that, we're able to 
create a really good bike. And what's cool is there's a ton of good bikes out there. And so we're not trying to make a bike that is perfect for every single person. I mean, I always say people that are interested in a bike, you know, go to a demo event and ride them and test ride them. And luckily a whole lot of people seem to really, <laughs> really like rebel bikes and how they ride. And that works well for us, but you know, everyone has different preferences. So it's good to just try out all sorts of different brands and types of bikes. Yeah, for sure. And I guess sort of one thing I've was curious to hear about a bit of this, like obviously the development of the rail two nine took a, a good while as you've already kind of touched on. And it has to have been kind of an interesting time for you to have really launched a bike company with your sort of first real public announcement of it in 2019. And then as I'm sure everyone listening to this is aware, the bike world got turned upside down not too long after that. And, uh, would be interested to hear just sort of how the whole situation of working through this pandemic and all of the supply chain headaches and the rest kind of have been from the perspective of a newer company going through all that and wouldn't be surprised to hear too if that ended up kind of making the rail 29 take a little longer to get out than you had perhaps originally hoped to plan for but curious for your thoughts on all that yeah it, the pandemic and COVID and all the whole everything going on in the world absolutely delayed the launch of this rail 29. We would have had it a lot sooner if it weren't for that. And um, we had a, had a lot of crazy challenges over the last few years. That being said, I could not feel more lucky. I mean, I we get we've been working a lot. Like we're a bike company and we wear flip flops to work to work, and we we you know go on lunch rides as much as we can. So from an outside perspective, it oftentimes looks like oh, it's all fun and games. But our team has been um, incredible at dealing with all the challenges and dealing with the unknowns and. I mean, we get bad news all the time with shipping delays and, and, and all this stuff. And, and a lot of us have been working well, well over 40 hours a week. Um, uh, a lot of people didn't take vacations for you know months and months at a time, just dealing with trying to figure out how to, how to adapt to all this. That being said, every time I kind of get down or get stressed or whatever, I just think, holy hell, how lucky are we? Like, we were a bike company that launched a year before COVID hit. And we have when COVID, you know, the lockdowns first started back in March of 2020, we had a few weeks in there that were horrible. I didn't sleep for weeks at a time. I actually had COVID really bad early on. So it's scary. And then we, all of our open orders got canceled. Like every retailer canceled every single bike. And we were a year old at the time. And, you know, those open orders is what helped me, you know, borrow money from the bank to finance, you know, buying our inventory and, in a matter of two days, everything was canceled. And I, within a week, I had two different financial plans made up uh, with kind of, okay, if this happens, we'll lay off this many people. If this happens, we'll lay off this many people. And it was awful. It was one of the hardest times I've ever had in my 10-year business career. Uh, and luckily, about three weeks after that, I never announced any of those financial plans or layoffs. And about three weeks after that, people started ordering bikes again. And we were thinking, all right, this, we might make it through this. And couple months after that, I was thinking, whoa, this pandemic is awful and terrible for the world, but it's really good for the bicycle industry. And so I, I just felt very, very lucky as far as what business and line of products we were in, but also the timing. Um, we were able to have a whole year after we first launched of normal supply chain stuff, which was, hey, we're selling way more bikes than we thought. You know, factory, can we, you know, get a few hundred more frames? you know, 
The answer is, oh yeah, sure. We'll ship them to you in 45 days, maybe 60 days. And we were always mad if stuff took 60 days to ship from Asia instead of 45. And that was a huge deal. And how are we supposed to handle that? You know, tram parts, we could, they were ready in 30 days and we'd ship them by FedEx air and we paid a ton of money to get them here quickly because we were always behind and sold out. And, you know, so, okay, from the day we decided we needed more derailleurs in five weeks, we could have as many derailleurs as we wanted here at the door. And like, that's like fairy tale dreamland right now. I can't imagine that, you know, we're putting orders out through 2024, 2025 with a lot of our vendors. So for our small business to figure out how to try to plan and guess what's going to happen for three to five years in advance and guess with enough confidence to put in a purchase order, which is essentially a contract to buy things. um, That's pretty tough. So on one hand, it's been really tough. On the other hand, it's forced our business to grow up. I mean, I I don't feel like we're a small startup company anymore. We've invested a ton of money. We've hired a lot more people. We've really kind of professionalized this business, which again, on the outside, it's all fun and games and bikes are cool, but I like to, you know, try to run this as if we're a doctor's office or lawyer's office or something like that. And kind of my mentality and what we talk about a lot here is if we do all that right. And if we do our jobs really well and we do our financial planning properly and we, you know, ensure that we create good products, you know, then at the end of the day, we get to sell bikes and we get to go ride bikes for work and we get to travel all around the world to, to ride and sell bikes. And that's, and that's pretty cool. But we, we focused a lot on, logistics and inventory control and purchasing and financial planning and all this stuff I took you know classes about in college that I didn't quite expect I'd be doing as as, as much as we are now but it's a product of the times and um and at the end of the day I just feel very very lucky business has been incredibly good uh even with all the challenges and delays and tough times with covid yeah it's a little surreal to look back and think that Right in the very early days of COVID hitting in the U.S., there was that moment where the bike industry was, was like you said, was really thinking, oh, man, is this going to crater? Is, are we going to, you know, have like what is going to happen here? And then it ended up being exactly the opposite of what everyone <laughs> feared and caused a whole bunch of completely different problems that were not the ones that people seem to be sort of bracing for. And it's been quite a ride since then. We all got so surprised. I mean, I had so many phone calls. The bike industry is so cool. A bunch of our competitor brands, you know, I'll talk on the phone with the founders or CEOs of other companies that are clearly our competitors and never so friendly in the background for the most part. Um, and we had I had calls with so many people and we were all thinking the same thing. Like, this is, you know, this is it. We have to lay people off. This is awful. And we all couldn't have been more wrong. It was a very, you know, humbling experience yeah. in that sense that <laughs> everything we guess is going to happen did happen. And then, like you said, exact opposite problems of too much demand, too little supply. You know, what a great problem to have. Uh, it, 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 it was tough, though, because... When I started the brand, I mean, it was such, and still is to an extent, but especially back in 2017, 18, and 19, that was such a classic startup. Um, I moved the company to Carbondale. At the time, I had two employees. We were just selling the bicycles, titanium line of products, but we were you know, developing all the carbon bikes. And I uh, lived in my van for two months up Prince Creek Road, the kind of bike bike trailhead area here in Carbondale and found a house to buy the cheapest house I could find, you know, around. And then the first five employees all lived with me at my house. And we have, you know, cheap rent for everybody because we were all barely 
taking, you know, much of a salary and we were all living together. So our company meetings were, you know, around my dinner table often, or when we get samples of, you know, prototypes of the, of the railer rascal, um, back in 2018, we'd build them up in my living room and, uh, it was really cool. But when COVID came around, you know, we, we'd done well, our 2019, we sold way more bikes than I ever expected, but we were still full on startup company, you know, mentality. Uh, I was very lucky to have some good investors, some old friends and stuff like that, that, that helped out. But, uh, you know, there's that kind of whole business side of this cool bike brand, uh, that when COVID came around, I was thinking, you know, it's at the time it was still only eight or 10 of us at the company. And it was, it was stressful for sure. Um, and I'm just super thankful we came out on top. Now we have 25 people here in Carbondale and we're trying to hire more people and we're super, super behind. And we launched this rail T9 and we are already super behind on all these orders. We had way more orders than we have inventory for. We launched the rail T9 and just within like a few hours, we sold out of, you know, everything that we're going to be able to ship for the first few months of summer. So we're, we're actually making some pretty good progress. Our purchasing team is incredible. They look at spreadsheets all day and figure out how to like use all their, all the stuff that I'm not good at one bit, like spreadsheets and financial planning and, and purchasing and forecasting and, and then working with our different vendors, either our frame manufacturers or Tram or Shimano or, you know, Maxis or whatever. So they work with our vendors every day. And in the last few weeks, they've made a lot of good progress. Things seem to be getting a little bit better. I mean, we're still looking at 500 or 700 day lead times for a lot of parts, but a lot of a lot of the vendors we work with and brands of products that we spec have been really, really helpful and accommodating. And everyone's working hard to try to improve the situation. So we're actually making a ton of progress. And I think we're going to be able to deliver more bikes than I'd thought, you know, even a few months ago this, this summer. But that's, it's so funny. We focus so much on just getting inventory in. And, and I started this business because I absolutely love bikes. And, you know, 90% of our day to day, at least for a lot of us in the building is, is about inventory and purchasing and shipping. And luckily we have really good engineers who <laughs> make awesome bikes, but uh, it's, it's been interesting. Yeah, I can only imagine. And I am curious, we've had some various kind of company founders and the like on recently sort of talking a bit about their thoughts on kind of how the trajectory feels for the just supply chain difficulties that we've been seeing. And so you're saying your takes kind of that it's maybe starting to just ease up a little bit, but really not too much yet or go deeper on that, I guess. Yeah, it seems like it's maybe easing up, but I think more of my optimism right now is that we're all getting better at planning and dealing with it. So, you know, within a matter of a couple months in mid 2020 lead times from, you know, major vendors went from 30 days to 180 days to 200 days to 300 days to 600 days. There's a bit of that, you know, sort of toilet paper mentality where a bunch of bike brands were overbuying and bike shops were overbuying because it was like, oh my God, we're not going to ever be able to get a GX derailleur again. We better buy 5,000 of them when maybe we only need 3,000 of them. Um, and I think we are seeing some lead times decrease, but not so much. But really, I think between bike brands like us and we're still quite small in the big scheme of things but you know every other bike brand and then the manufacturers everyone's kind of learning how to plan for this more and not just to 
you know, take a huge order that might be too much, but say, okay, here's our capacity to make, you know, frames or to make tires or to make derailleurs. And how can we make sure that, you know, all the companies and bike shops are going to be able to get some inventory from, from that. So, and then just the last few weeks, you know, COVID spiked in China again, we're seeing more shutdowns and 98%, if not more of all bike products are made in China. So, so we're very reliant on that market. I actually love working in China. They, they do incredible work. They work with great factories there. Um, but for better or, or, or worse, there's a lot more control in that country. You know, if the government says, hey, COVID's coming back, we're going to shut down X percent of factories or these cities, it happens and then things get delayed. So I think lead times are, that's going to continue to be a thing. I think lead times are going to be very long. So we're going to have to plan far in advance, but we're just better at planning. We did have um, I remember in 2018, we hired someone just to do purchasing, you know, just to buy things. And I thought, oh my God, we're hiring someone, you know, spending all this money just so that someone can buy stuff. And now it's like, well, of course that's how it works. And we actually have four people whose job it is, is just to buy things and to plan for things. Uh, we implemented a really fancy new software system. Uh, we were using like the $10 a month, you know, QuickBooks to run the business. And now we, I don't even want to say how much money we spent. It's a pretty tough pill to swallow, but it was the best money we spent to have this super fancy, super robust inventory platform so that we can better plan and, and, and purchase things. So I, I think things might be stabilizing a little bit. Their lead times aren't doubling every week like they were, but all of us are just getting better at planning for it and kind of accepting that it's normal and not stressing out about it as much. There's still some stressful days, but we're learning to kind of live with the cards that were dealt and, and adapt to that. And I do think because we're a new company, we were able to do that fairly quickly. You know, we're nimble, we're not massive. There's a ton of passion in the building. I mean, we had our team come in on a Saturday and Sunday where our office is just open Monday through Friday. And they came in on a Saturday and Sunday to implement this fancy new ERP inventory system. And on Monday we were up and running. So we didn't even lose a day of downtime with this whole new computer system. And, and I was super thankful and stoked that all worked out. So little things like that all kind of add up to being a small company with really good timing with this. I think we, I think we did pretty well with all of it. Oh, that's good to hear. And I, I like the take that maybe the world hasn't changed, but the bike industry has gotten better at dealing with it. I think it seems like a, a, a pretty good way to look at it. And it's pretty easy to imagine how that can only be a good thing in the long run, even if, and when we kind of, ever get past this particular moment just the lessons learned from it seem it depends on the day you ask me so sometimes i might say no we're all doing terrible and the, and the bike industry is awful and we're never going to figure this out <laughs> but but it's it's very dependent on the news we hear that day but but overall it's, i totally think we we've all grown up from it and in the big scheme of things the bike industry is really quite young i mean mountain biking was only invented you know back in the 70s and it didn't really come into its own until you know 2000s, if not, you know, just the last five years, it seems like mountain biking has really taken off even more. Um, my mentality is everyone who's downhill skied uh, should have a mountain bike in the summer. And so I think we have a huge amount of room to, to, to grow. But in the big scheme of things, we're a very young, you know, not crazy professional industry. And so I think these last few years have forced companies to step it up or they're maybe not going to make it. Uh, and I think in the big scheme of things, that's only going to help the overall sport of biking just to be a little bit more professional and dialed from the business uh, perspective. Yeah, I think that 100% checks out. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of where that where that goes from here. 
one thing I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on too is, you know, as someone who has started a number of bike companies now, and again, people should go listen to the last time you were on Bikes and Big Ideas, episode 25, for some more on that. We'll link to it in the show notes and all that. I'd be curious to hear kind of how, what your thoughts are on how that sort of newfound, I don't know, increasing professionalization or however you want to term it of the bike industry has changed that experience. And if you were to launch a new start, a new company now, kind of how different it would be to go about trying to start something up than it was the last several times that you've been through that process. How much has the world changed on that front? Yeah, I would say there's no way I'd start a bike company now. I love where Rebel's at and where I'm at right now. I feel so lucky, but I mean, I look at how challenging it was to start a bike company when there was no supply chain challenges. Uh, I don't know what, if someone is out there listening to this, who's starting a bike company, let me buy you a beer someday and and, and we'll talk about it. Cause I can't imagine trying to work with manufacturers, slot your production schedule in and figure that out in the face of all these challenges. Um, uh, I do think the overall kind of professionalization of the bicycle industry is a very good thing. It's very, very relative because when I, when I say, Oh, we're getting more professional, you know, what I, sometimes people will come into our headquarters here in Carbondale and we have about a 12,000 square foot warehouse. We've like pieced together a few warehouses and built hallways in between buildings as we need more space. Um, you know, it, it's not professional, from an outside perspective, we, we used to do a thing like we, we had bro tank Fridays. Now we changed it to party shirt Fridays because no one wanted to wear bro tanks. That was the only one. Uh, we, we have a whole coffee bar. We get coffee being shipped to us every week from Crested Beats. We have like this espresso setup. Um, every Tuesday we shut down our office at 3 PM. We buy everyone season passes for SOMAS bike park. And we go on Tuesdays, the bike park stays open until sunset. So we can go get like a full four hours of, of riding. And then we always like, you know, grill and have beers and stuff, you know, after that, um, I think my insurance company said, I'm not allowed to talk about having beers. So, um, yeah, if they're listening, hopefully they don't care about that, but, uh, you know, most Fridays we do like a happy hour at the end of the day. And, you know, oftentimes people are playing drinking games, you know, Friday after, after work, and it looks like a college dorm room sometimes. <laughs> so the overall, you know, professionalism is a very relative term, but it, it really happens in the background. You know, a lot of people, including ourselves, like we ride bikes to escape that day-to-day -day work, like biking, you know, I get into biking as a kid because it was how I escaped, you know, whatever stresses of life, you know, that the little, you know, 13 year old kid had, um, and I think that remains true for myself and for a lot of our customers that, you know, you might work all day at a job you don't necessarily love and you get on your bike and everything's awesome or it's a way to break up the workday. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It's an escape. Uh, and so for us, you know, where bikes are our career, we make it really fun. But when we're sitting at our desks and a lot of people work 40 or 60 or we've had a whole lot of, you know, 80 hour weeks, I don't even like to think about some of those. We, we do it right. And, and we do it very well. And that allows us to, to have all that fun. So it's, it's been really cool to kind of build a business. And this is my, my third bike company, my fourth company overall. And I couldn't be more proud of how our whole team has balanced that professional when we're at our computers, professional when we're at trade shows, but really able to have, you know, have fun and be, you know, professionals at, at the same time. It's been pretty neat to see. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty good place to be. To kind of bring it back around to the rest of the bike lineup, uh, we kind of touched on 
some of it already, but how about you give us just a quick rundown of the whole Revel lineup, just sort of for the sake of completeness on that. Perfect. Yeah. So we launched with the Rail 27.5, uh, 165 millimeters rear travel, 170 front. That's still in our lineup. Um, although we are seeing more people want 29er wheels. Um, I still, I love the 27.5 bike, but a lot of people just prefer 29ers. I, I still tell everyone, go, go ride that Rail 27.5. It'll surprise you how, how playful and poppy and fun it is. Uh, the Rascal is 29 inch wheels, 130 rear, 140 front. And that's our top selling bike. I mean, it's, it's a bike that most people all over the world in any terrain can buy that bike and have a whole lot of fun. So if you're going to own one bike, the Rascal is, is super good. Uh, we launched in 2020, we launched the Ranger. So that's kind of a cross country, down country bike, even though I think that word is overused, but that's 115 millimeter rear travel, 120 front. And you can build that bike light. We've had a lot of people do, you know, high level endurance races on that bike, as well as more and more people seem to be choosing that bike as their one bike to do everything. So it's 115 millimeters of travel. It's on the low end, but it's kind of it, geometry that's in between, you know, it's not at all a cross country, pure cross country race bike. Uh, it's kind of between that and like an all mountain bike. And depending on where you live and your terrain, that's a damn good bike for your everyday rider. I mean, it can, it, it's so fast. The CBF suspension platform makes it such an efficient pedaling bike. And yet the CBF also feels really kind of bottomless and has really good uh, a really good feel when you're going downhill over chunky terrain, the braking characteristics, uh, I think are the best of any suspension platform out there in a the sense that when you grab the brakes, it doesn't affect your suspension. A lot of bikes, when you grab the brakes, it'll kind of lock up the rear wheel or it'll kind of push the rider forward and CBF and our kind of dialed in version of CBF really does a great job at that. So the Ranger is definitely a favorite within our building here in terms of an everyday rider. Uh, so those are, those are the first three full suspension bikes. And then let's see, back in December, we launched, uh, the Rover, which is a gravel bike, uh, which I think would probably kind of pissed off a lot of people when we launched that, that bike. Cause everyone was waiting for a long travel 29er. And, and I, I actually thought it was pretty awesome that we had our gravel bike ready before the long travel 29er. Cause you know, we did some teasers and told people we were coming out with a new bike next week. And then it was a gravel bike and not a long travel 29er. And, and I thought it was awesome because I knew we had the long travel 29er coming out soon, but, but some of our dealers were like, okay, that's cool. But come on now, where's the long travel 29er? Um, but the gravel bike's awesome. We have our other line of bikes, Y cycles that makes titanium bikes. And we have the R plus was our gravel bike for, uh, for, uh, for Y cycles. And we launched that bike back in 2016. Um, we're now on version three uh we've done a few updates of that bike um, i mean it won like best gravel bike of the year in a couple magazines it got on the cover of road bike action people really liked that um, but by nature titanium is very niche small you know people love it or don't really care about it and that's totally cool that's why i wanted to make a titanium bike brand it's really fun to start a bike brand with kind of more for fun than for like business reasons it's kind of you know handmade artistic bikes and, and I absolutely love titanium bikes. Um, but within our building, you know, most of us are super into mountain bikes, but almost everybody here owns one of the Y cycles, R plus bikes. So we were thinking, well, we're all really into gravel bikes too. Let's make a carbon one for, for rebel. 
And that was really fun because we've been making gravel bikes for years. We all ride them a lot. And so we kind of say, let's make exactly what we want. And we have a ton of experience making these bikes. So we weren't just in general, I don't want to be a brand that just, you know, makes a bike because there's market share to be had to me. That's like the worst possible thing we could do. Like, we just want to make bikes that we, you know, we're only going to make some if we think we can do it very well or a little better than some other people out there in certain ways. And, and I think with our gravel bike, we, we really did that. It's got the biggest tire clearance and chainring clearance of any gravel bike on the market today. Uh, that still has good geometry, 420 millimeter chainstays. Um, we had to do a bunch of funky shaping with the chainstay to kind of fit all that stuff. And the trend with different, you know, components is going to be, you know, to be able to run a bigger front chain ring. So that chain ring clearance really matters a lot to kind of help future proof the bike. We put a UDH on that gravel bike, which is kind of our, you know, mountain biker influence on drop bar bikes. So UDH is SRAM universal derailleur hanger. It's this genius method of fixing, you know, having a unique parts for different brands, um, in a really cool kind of frame design system. So, uh, SRAM was really excited. Um, I was actually just meeting with SRAM a few weeks ago and they were all like, this is so freaking cool that you guys have a UDH on a gravel bike. It's not super common yet. So I was excited about that. Um, so now, you know, within our bike lineup, we, we have a titanium gravel bike and we have a carbon gravel bike and they each have their different strengths and different areas. So depending on what type of riding you want to do, one, one might be better uh, than another. And I'm pretty, I want to do like a, photo in the next few months when, when everybody here in the building, you know, when all our employees get their bikes and of everyone with, with their gravel bikes and see, you know, some people are going to have both. Some, some people here are buying, you know, either already own a titanium gravel bike and then they're buying a, a, a rebel Rover, um, or people are going to get one or the other. And I'm just kind of curious how that shakes out. Cause there's very strong opinions one way or the other, but they're both really awesome bikes. Um, and then the final bike that we just launched a few weeks ago is the rail 29. So 29 inch wheels, 155 rear, 160 front with the ability to go up to 170 in the front. Uh, and that's our lineup right now. And we got a whole lot more stuff in the works too. So I'm sure that's a good rundown. Thanks for, for taking us through that. I would like to just go a little deeper on the, the wheel size bit, since you were talking about the original rail sticking around rail two nines now an option as well and this is a drum that i've kind of been banging for a little bit too 29ers do a bunch of stuff really well um but i do think that there are more people who should still be considering a 27.5 bike who could not agree more (laughs) 29ers have become sort of the default to too much of a degree and i'm just trying to convince some people of that and one theory that I've had on it, I'm curious for your thoughts on this, is that I think this is I'm not saying this is true for everybody for sure, but I think that there are at least a certain number of people out there who got their their first 29er. They bought it, you know, four or five years ago, whatever, something in that kind of time frame. And that was also right around the time when bike geometry was changing really quickly and I think there are a lot of people out there who are over attributing how much better their new bike is to the bigger wheels and not just everything else that also changed about it. Geometry suspension got better, et cetera, et cetera. And that's awesome. I actually haven't heard that specific theory before, and I could not agree more. I think you're spot on. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I, I really think there's something to that. And 
there are quite a few people who I have been trying to encourage just to, you don't have to go buy one, don't commit, but just go demo a good modern 27.5 bike, and I think you're going to be surprised. That's awesome. No, I, I think it's totally, uh, you know, I kind of, we kind of joke sometimes the bike industry is like, is, is a fashion industry. I mean, it's, it's like fancy sport cars. If you look at a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Maserati, you know, or, or they're all going to be really freaking good, but people, uh, you know, maybe have affinity for one brand or one type of car over another. And I think the bike industry very much fits into that. And, um, I see a lot of people talking about, you know, oh, I'm selling an old bike so I can upgrade to a 29er. Yeah, I mean, it's just a different wheel size. And for certain people and for certain conditions, probably probably most people, a 29er is generally faster. But the wheel size is like one tiny piece of the puzzle in the overall bike. Your wheel size, your geometry, and your suspension platform need to all work together. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter what your wheel size is. I mean, your, your tire pressure is going to make more of a difference for most people in, in how your bike rolls over things than the size of the wheel, um, let alone your suspension platform, let alone your suspension setup. I mean, one of the biggest mistakes I see is that um, a lot of bikes aren't set up very well, whether it's our brand or a different brand, whether it's a good suspension platform or a not so good suspension platform. If it's not set up well with the right pressure and rebound clicks and compression clicks, it's not going to perform very well. And, and to me, I think it's really easy for any consumer. And I'm super guilty of this with all the other sports I try to do that I'm not good at, or, you know, haven't spent my entire life, you know, engrossed in. I got into snowmobiling recently because I'm terrible at it. And it's really fun to like try a new sport and be, be a consumer in this world that I don't know anything about. It kind of teaches me a lot you know, for my career and for what I do, you know, making bikes and selling bikes. Um, I don't know anything about snowmobiling. So I'm probably, you know, I'm sure people like make fun of me or think I don't know anything when I walk into the snowmobile shop, but in, in, in the bike world, I think it's very easy for consumers to fall into that. Oh, I read a headline or an article that said 29ers are faster and therefore every other wheel size is, is bad. And uh, it, it really, like you said, I always encourage people just go ride it, like go ride that rail 27.5 and everybody rides it is blown away. Like I'm six foot one. I'm, I'm decent at mountain biking. I'm not a professional. I tried to be, it wasn't, wasn't there yet, but I'm pretty decent. And the general idea in the, you know, marketing media world right now is that someone like me should have a 29er long travel bike to go downhill fast. And for the most part, that's probably right. But I pick up my rail 27.5 more often than I pick up my 29er bikes. Cause it's way more Fun. It's poppy. It's playful for so much bike park with all these kind of nice, you know, well-built jumps. It's just a fun, fun bike. So I think for a lot of people, if you're not doing, you know, EWS level world cup races, 27.5 bike is, is damn fun. That being said, you know, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot. We just launched the rail two <laughs> nine. Um, I can say this more because we've sold so many more of those bikes than we're going to be able to ship this, <laughs> this year. <laughs> Uh, the rail 29s are it's dialed like it pedals uphill so well so much better than a lot of cross-country you know short travel bikes and then when you open it up on the downhill like you can't feel the bottom out i mean 155 millimeters of travel it feels like a 170 or 180 bike with other suspension platforms um so i don't think anybody can go wrong with either wheel size but i do think at the end of the day not assuming that one wheel size is better than another and going and trying them out is definitely the best way to, to go for most people looking for a new bike. Yep. Well said. And 
I think also part of it is that there's this fixation in the bike world on going fast and going fast is super fun to be sure. But also most people are not out there racing professionally. And, you know, if it takes you a second and a half longer to get down that trail, you're probably, I mean, I guess Strava is a thing or whatever, but like it, that's not really why everyone's out there riding their bike. And so, yeah, I, th- I think there's a little bit of work to kind of reframe that conversation. I could not agree. Yeah. Like a, a lot of people that, you know, Oh, this guy did the world cup race and rode this bike, you know, that guy doing the world cup race is is a whole lot faster than all the rest of us. So it's not always the right bike. I mean, that being said, we, so we have a few people in our building. We have a really fast group of employees that are um, really fast riders. Uh, you know, a lot of our crew does MEWS and BME races and places very well. Some of our sponsored riders, Mason Bond is one of our sponsored riders. Uh, he's based down in Sedona and he's one of the fastest dudes on a, on a bike. He doesn't race a whole lot, but he's, he's, he's going to do a bit more this year, but he's so freaking fast. And, and our bikes can do that. Like our bikes are perfect for, you know, a lot of those EWS races, uh, but that's not all they're made for. So yeah, I agree. We're not all, I'm certainly not out there trying to go as fast as possible. I'm trying to have the most fun. And I used to be into racing and now I like ride my bike for fun and it's a pretty good mental shift. <laughs> yep. I'm with you. While we're kind of doing it, any particular thoughts on, mullet setups you guys haven't dove into that as a company yet at least but um just curious if you have any thoughts there Flora's kind of yours here i i do and and i always try to be open-minded because my first company was a fat bike brand and when i back in 2010 when i walked into bike shops trying to sell fat bikes outside of alaska where i grew up i literally got like laughed out of bike shops like look at that ridiculous thing no one's ever going to buy those and a year later they were calling me asking if they could buy them for their floor so i try to take the mentality of being very open-minded to anything new and uh trying things before passing judgment i'm not perfect at it but i try my very best um the mullet thing i think is one of those i don't want to quite use the word fad um but it got really popular really quick. And when everyone was talking about it, I mean, right away, I mean, we, we set up a, our rail uh, with several different mullet setups. We, our engineers did all the math to figure out what fork travel and offset and everything is going to keep the trail numbers, you know, in the right realm to, to ride well. Um, several employees here built up mullet bikes for themselves. I mean, we've totally experimented with it and a few people liked them. I, I personally haven't ridden a mullet bike that I like. Um, I don't, I haven't been able to figure out why, but I just don't like them one bit. Our bikes, I don't think ride very well. Um, I'm sure some people who have a Rebel that they set up as a mullet might disagree with me completely. And that's awesome. Everyone has a different riding style. Um, but I, I think a, good, a big part of it is we spend you know years, like we spend so much time creating our bikes, you know, specking the parts that we do spec on them. Every single thing down to the brake rotor, down to the bottom bracket is like thought about. And there's a reason, like I'm really proud of how we design our frames and then how we spec the bikes, what parts we put on, what tires we use. Everything is very practical. We don't just put on the cheap tires that are light so we can have a claimed weight of 28 pounds when really someone buys a bike and they take the tires off and spend 200 bucks to put new ones on and the bike weighs 29 pounds. Like, Everything we do, you know, our, our cheapest bike we sell is a bike that any of us in the building would be super stoked to ride and race on. Our GX build is so well thought out. And I love that people take our bikes and, you know, build them up as from a frame only or, or buy a bike and then swap parts out to customize it. Like that's one of the, that to me, 
the parts on the bike and messing around with your bike is just as fun as, you know, riding your bike. And a, a lot of our customers are, are the same way. But when things like fork travel or fork offset or geometry, especially when wheel size changes on our bikes, I'm like, you know what? I know damn well that it's not going to ride as good as we designed it to ride. And, and I'm certainly biased because I spend all this time making our bikes the way that they are. So I, I recognize that, but for the most part, you know, if it's not a product that we sell or that we recommend, it's because we've tried it and it's because it doesn't make our frame and design shine like we know it can. So I don't want to like stop people from experimenting and trying new stuff because we're, we're obviously wrong sometimes or we haven't tried everything. Uh, but the mullet setups that we've tried, there's a reason they're not for sale on our website. I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, I could probably go on for another hour on this too, but we'll, we'll, we'll are, you, are you a fan of mullets or no, you not, not particularly, <laughs> uh, I, I think that they, I can understand the appeal for some people. I think they have some benefits. They don't particularly click for my personal preferences and riding style either. And totally. I'll leave it there for right now. But <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so, Adam, this has been a really cool chat. A lot of good stuff in here. But before we let you go, we do like to wrap up by asking our guests if they have a final big idea to share. The show is called Bikes and Big Ideas After All. So this could be anything serious or silly, just whatever thoughts been rattling around in your head that you want to throw out into the world. But anything come to mind? Big ideas for Rebel Bikes. Hmm. Or not Rebel Bikes, really anything. Okay, cool. Well, Rebel Bikes is kind of my life and <laughs> sure. I'm really lucky. So I'm, I'm always really focused on that. I'll rattle off the first few things that pop into our head. We're trying to, we're going to, we're going to buy a kegerator for the shop this, this summer. That's one of the goals. We want to get a second company raft right now. We have one company raft. <laughs> want to get to. So those are kind of at the forefront of my mind. Um, but, but in kind of a more serious sense, I think one of the big things that we're working on and that we're going to see more is all sorts of cool new materials and different manufacturing processes and, and, and things like that. We did our rebel wheels lineup made in, uh, made over in Utah, so made in America, made out of uh, recyclable composite material. Um, and we're super psyched to kind of keep on exploring, uh, different types of materials, manufacturing, focus on sustainability uh, on, on more sustainable manufacturing, I should say. So, um, hopefully, you know, we do have a lot of stuff in the works. So I'm super excited to keep telling everyone what we, what we've been working on as we, as we get it ready to go. Right on. And yeah, we've got, we've got a whole other episode with you on the Revel wheels over on our gear 30 podcast too. That was back in episode one oh one. We'll link to that one too. If people want to check that out, but, uh, yeah, good rundown. And especially with that kegerator making a compelling case that I need to come out and make a visit uh, this summer once stuff melts out a little more. So uh, come on over. I'll let you know as soon as the kegerator is ready. Perfect. Please hand you beer in a can, but uh, come on out. And, and anybody's welcome to visit us in Carbondale anytime. We do, you know, demo, demo bike rides from the shop. You can try a bike out. You can grab a cup of coffee. Um, we'll give you a grand tour of our very packed full gravel bikes headquarters. And uh, yeah, can't wait to have you out here and go for a ride. That'll be sweet. Looking forward to it, too. Thanks again, Adam. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. If you're enjoying these conversations, then we'd really appreciate it if you take a minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Adam for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye, everybody.